From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. As the pandemic drags through the end of 2020 and into the new year, unemployment benefits are set to expire for millions of Americans the day after Christmas. And the number of people nationwide experiencing food insecurity is soaring. What's the latest on a coronavirus relief package to help struggling Americans? Oregon Senator Jeff Merkley has been pushing for relief to come soon. He'll join us with the latest. We'll also look at the coronavirus vaccine and why the U.S. government didn't buy more of the Pfizer vaccines when it had the chance. Plus, the decades-long battle over drilling for oil in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge may be coming to a head before President-elect Joe Biden takes office. The White House announced earlier this month the first-ever auction for leases for drilling would take place on January 6th, two weeks before Biden is inaugurated. It's an aggressive timeline that normally would take much longer. Senator Merkley, who's been a climate champion in the Senate, is strongly opposed to the auction and drilling, and he's taking steps to try to stop it. Here to tell us more, I'm pleased to welcome our final Straight Talk guest of 2020, Oregon Senator Jeff Merkley. Welcome back, Senator. It's nice to have you here, and happy holidays. Oh, thank you so much, Laurel. Very good to be with you. We're going to talk about the possibility of drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge in just a moment. But let's start with the COVID relief package for Americans who are really hurting right now. We want to let our viewers know we're taping this on Thursday. It's just afternoon there in D.C. And without a package, a whole range of CARES Act provisions will expire at the end of this month. Senator, what's the latest on getting a package passed? I know you've been talking about it in Congress all week. Is there a deal yet? Well, there's the outlines of a deal. Uh, the top Democrat and Republican of both houses, so the group of four, have come together and have been an- announcing little pieces along the way that they reached a plan for about a $900 billion bill, of which about $400 billion is new money, and the rest comes left over from the, the CARES Act. Uh, they have announced that uh, unemployment insurance uh, will be augmented, probably at, at $300 per week for probably about four months. We're, we're awaiting details. They've, they've indicated there's good chance there'll be uh, individual payments uh, to Americans below a certain income threshold of $600 a week. And I mention these pieces because what we've really been pushing forward is rebuild the American economy from the foundation up, from the small business up, and from the struggling family up, not from Wall Street down. Well, Senator, this is fluid, and we will update things in our story on KGW.com as things change. But I know you wanted more in direct payments. Uh, You talked about $600 a one-time direct payment to people. Will you vote for this bill that's so much less than what you wanted? Well, in fact, we were hoping for $1,200, and it sounds like that's going to be cut in half to about, about $600. Uh, the, uh, there are going to be many elements in this bill. Part of the problem with the Senate right now is that it's not transparent. Uh, deals are being cut, and we won't know what the final bill looks like until shortly before we vote on it. Uh, and, of course, I'm going to be trying to find out what's actually done in it, because there could be some real uh, shenanigans there that would affect whether I would support the bill or not. But in the broad picture, I certainly hope I can vote for this bill. It's way overdue. Yes, it's one third of what we hoped for seven months ago. But the hope is that if this can create a bridge for four months, 
possibly we can do another bill four months from now and help fill out and help America recover. But to do nothing uh, would hurt so many people. And in fact, as you pointed out, uh, the extended uh, timeline for state unemployment expires the day after Christmas. That's a huge bag of coal in the stocking for 12 million Americans. And then the eviction moratorium uh, expires, the foreclosure moratorium expires, the flexibility of state and local government to use the CARES Act funding expires. So action is necessary. And this bill might not include aid for state and local governments. Do you think that might be something that comes up in the new year with the new administration? Yes, this is a real challenge because the majority leader has a corporate impunity bill that strips away the right of ordinary Americans to seek redress before a judge if they've been economically uh, harmed by an employer or if they're a customer who's been, been harmed. And this fundamental right to seek justice before a judge, I mean, that is American as red, white, and blue or apple pie. In fact, it precedes our founding as a nation. This effort to completely squelch the rights of Americans to seek justice is absolutely wrong. I will completely fight it. Uh, McConnell, the majority leader, uh, has decided this is kind of another ability to put a nail in the coffin of ordinary Americans' rights to seek justice for wrongdoing. And I hope we can stop it. Senator, you sit on the important Senate Appropriations Committee, and the stimulus package has also been tied into the year-end spending bill to keep the government running. It would shut down Friday otherwise. And there's some important things for Oregon in that legislation. What can you tell us about the spending bill? So this is, these are the bills that were supposed to be done by October 1st to, because the fiscal year starts October 1st, runs through the end of September. So we're well into that year now. And so the omnibus means all 12 of those spending bills put together and then COVID action would be glued to that. So it'd be a, a mega bill uh, done before we leave here. And I think I share uh, the sentiment that uh, many Americans share, and I know a lot of legislators share, is that we cannot leave DC without getting these bills passed. So the bill will have lots of things for Oregon, ranging from the, the support for irrigation in central Oregon to the dredging of uh, coastal ports, to support for ag research with our very diversified ag economy, a lot of support for rural Oregon and broadband, and certainly a lot of help on housing, which is just fundamental to our state because we see the housing crisis uh, everywhere you go. Do you think you're going to be in D.C. through Christmas trying to get these bills passed? Well, I, I think we're going to be here through the weekend. All right, Senator. The first vaccine. Maybe not till Christmas Eve, but we have been here. We've been here till Christmas Eve in the past. Uh, but I, I, I think we might make, make it out of here a day or two before that. Well, I hope you're home for the holidays. Let's talk about so much hope on the horizon about the vaccines that have arrived in states across the country. We've seen the first vaccinations in Oregon and Washington. Are you hopeful this is the beginning of the end of the pandemic? I sure am. I just kind of felt a surge of joy to see the first vaccine being delivered in Oregon, to know that uh, 
we're going to have 35,000 by the end of the week. By the end of the, the month, we're going to have some 230,000 doses in, in Oregon. Frontline healthcare workers are going to be covered by the end of the month. A lot of seniors will start to be covered by the end of the month who are in nursing homes or retirement homes. I mean, it's very, I see it very personally on the frontline healthcare worker because my wife, Mary, is a nurse, a hospice nurse who goes home to home with people who are very, very sick in the final chapter of their life. And she tests a lot of them for, for COVID. Uh, so she carries that stress that frontline workers carry of potentially carrying the disease home, uh, affecting their her husband, uh, our children, uh, our neighbors, uh, my mother who, who has been living either with me or with my sister. Uh, and so I just uh, knowing what they're going through, the, the stress they feel. I'll give you an example that on a recent weekend when Mary was working, two thirds of the nurses, hospice nurses, were out sick, either with illness or with stress. And uh, that puts even more stress on the remaining nurses. Do you know if Mary will be getting a vaccine soon? She hadn't heard as of last night, uh, but my understanding is the uh, the, the hospice nurses uh, will be getting. They are considered on the front line, and they'll be in that first tier of people getting getting the inoculation. Is is my understanding? Every every medical group is doing it a little bit differently. The New York Times reported the U.S. government passed up the chance to lock in 100 million more vaccines when Pfizer offered them earlier this year and then lost its place in line with other countries sealing deals ahead of the U.S. What can you tell us about why the U.S. government didn't lock in more Pfizer vaccines when it had the chance? Now, I've joined a group of senators to demand that exact answer from the administration, and we don't have the answer. I am astounded that after we allocated billions and billions of dollars to Operation Warp Speed, that when we have the company coming to us and on a silver platter and saying, are you sure? Don't you want another 100 million doses? You realize it takes two per person. That's only 50 million Americans. Uh, we're basically uh, uh, pretty much ahead of the crowd in terms of getting the first vaccine ready. Don't you want more of these or to block in that option and have the Trump administration turn them down? I have no idea. Uh, what the circumstances were that led them to that decision. Uh, I think all of America would like, like to know because we want to get uh, the opportunity for every American to get a vaccination as rapidly as possible. That's the only way we're going to stop this surge. I think about how right now we have well over a thousand cases, new cases a day in Oregon. We're hitting a, a rhythm of about 50 plus or minus 50 deaths a day. There was a point at which I thought we could limit the total number of deaths from this, this pandemic in Oregon to 100. And now we're, that's happening every two, two days, two and a half days. Uh, so we really need those vaccines. Well, let us know when you get an answer about why they didn't buy more when they could. Let's go now to the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge that we talked about earlier. It's a pristine area in northeast Alaska, about the size of Delaware. It's home to polar bears, grizzly bears, gray wolves, migrating caribou and other wildlife. How would you describe the Trump administration move to auction off drilling leases after the new year? This is a, just an obscene gesture about destroying one of the most magnificent jewels in our refuge system. And it's been off limits for decades and decades and decades. There's lots of other places companies can drill. This It's a fragile ecosystem. Even preparation for drilling, which involves putting off big explosions in order to map the geology deep under the earth, is profoundly disturbing to the more than 200 
uh, forms of wildlife that inhabit the area. So uh, we need to stop it. And the administration is cutting the corners on all the routine processes to do these leases. I'm hoping that they'll stumble because they've got it down to where they're trying to get the leases signed like two days before the transition. It's just wrong. And they know it's wrong, which is why they didn't do it before the election. Uh, but they're cramming it in at the request of the fossil fuel world at the final moment. I will tell you some good news. A group of us wrote to 11 banks and said, can you commit not to finance any drilling in the Anwar? And all 11 have said yes. So I think the last of the 11 was Bank of America. We will be writing to uh, insurance companies and asking them to agree not to insure any activities that are in Anwar. We'll be talking to uh, grassroots groups and encouraging them to launch boycotts of any company that buys oil that's produced out of Anwar. So we're going to tackle this from every direction. It's very hard to get legislation through the Senate because the fossil fuel world basically is the puppet master of the U.S. Senate at this this point. They are the, the, the biggest force behind uh, McConnell and uh, Trump. And so, um, uh, so we're going to look at every angle we can to slow this down so that the next administration has a, has a chance to say this should not happen and this will not happen. Isn't this something the Republican-controlled Congress in 2017 authorized as part of the Tax Act, that there would have to be two leases by the end of 2021? Yes, they did put it into the 2017 Tax Act. It's one of these things that was stuffed in kind of uh, secretly at the last moment. It's this type of thing that happens when there's really not normal legislative deliberations. Similar things could be happening at this very moment because we're, we don't have a bill on the floor in which we're examining it and we're proposing amendments and we're finding out how our constituents think and trying to see what's wrong and fix it. Instead, it's all happening in a back room. Americans should be appalled by this process in which uh, it's not an open legislative process. Senators and House members will not see the bill in time to digest it. The press will not have the chance to examine it and publicize its pros and, and cons. The American people won't have a chance to weigh in. And things like, Soiling Anwar, damaging Anwar, the types of things that happen with this closed uh, secret system. Well, you also want to pass legislation that would stop the possibility of drilling and also protect the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge permanently. Where do those stand and what chances do, do they have in the Senate? Well, it, as long as uh, it kind of depends on Georgia. <laughs> and so January 5th, we have uh, the election of of two more senators in Georgia, it's a, it's a runoff. And those two senators, if, they, if the Democrats win those, those seats, then Democrats will control the Senate. They will be able to determine what bills go to committee, what bills come to the floor. Uh, we will not be necessarily be able to do policy under the current rules of the Senate, uh, something that has to be examined. Uh, but we will have much more power than if McConnell is, is in charge. Uh, and so, uh, We'll see what happens in uh, January uh, 5th. But I do hope uh, for the ability to have coherent policy to take on climate chaos, to be able to address a fast and rapid and bold transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy. We really need a Senate that will work in partnership with uh, Joe Biden and his team. We shouldn't forget all the impacts we see in Oregon from climate chaos uh, driven by carbon dioxide from burning fossil fuels. It's the forest fires. It's the acidification of, of the ocean, Pacific Ocean affecting our sea life. 
uh, off the coast and our, our fishing industry. It's the loss of snowpack in the Cascades. It's the red zone where the pine trees are dying in Eastern Oregon. It's the health of our, of our trout and salmon streams when there's less water runoff into the summer. And so climate uh, impacts are affecting our forests, uh, they're affecting our fishing, they're affecting our farming. It's not rural, urban, it's not red, blue, it is planet Earth that is there for the benefit of all of us and generations to come. And we need a Senate that will work in partnership with the Biden administration. When we come back, we'll talk more about the functionality of the Senate with Senator Merkley, and we'll ask him to reflect on 2020 and his greatest hope for 2021. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter and welcome once again to my guest, Senator Jeff Merkley speaking to us from Washington, D.C. Senator, great to have you here once again. We talked at the top of the show just before the break about what's happening in Georgia. The balance of power in Congress hinges on those two Senate runoff races in Georgia happening January 5th. Democrats need to hold both of those races against two sitting Republican senators to control the Senate, something you mentioned would clear the path for Joe Biden's agenda. But a lot of Republicans, many of your constituents in Oregon, 40 percent who voted for President Trump, worry about an all-Democratic Congress and feel there needs to be a check and balance of Democratic power. And they want to see Republicans hold control because they're concerned that that's the only thing that stands between America and a radical socialist agenda. How do you answer those fears? Well, I'm not sure what is uh, radical about creating good paying jobs, investing in, in not just jobs, but housing and healthcare and education, the fundamentals for families to thrive. Uh, we've all benefited from the work of a previous generation in making those investments, and we need to make those investments now for the welfare of all Americans and the generation to come. You've expressed concern about the functionality of the Senate. You talked about that in our first segment, that backdoor deals are being made and that essentially it's shut down the Senate, getting nothing done in this last year. How frustrated are you about that? And what are you doing to try to improve the way the Senate works? Uh, you wouldn't recognize the Senate if you were to transport yourself from the 1970s and 1980s till now. In the 70s and 80s, bills were put on the floor. There were tons of amendments. There was rarely, if ever, a supermajority blockade. Uh, I never, never saw one during the time I, I worked for Congress. Uh, and um, now what we have, uh, amendments are rare and blockades are common. So the Senate's been stood on its head. And the result is there's just a few bills, massive bills under which everything is put. They're done at the last minute and rolled out for a vote where you have no time to analyze them, digest them. Uh, and that's just, that lack of transparency is not accountable in a republic. So one of the things I'm doing is holding a bipartisan discussion with Republicans about how to restore legislative deliberation to the floor. Republican senators are also frustrated. Not so long ago, the superpower of a senator was any issue that you really cared about or your constituents cared about. You could put it up in an amendment, have it debated, have it voted on, which meant that there was accountability to the public because people knew where you stood. 
Now, special interests work with the majority to say, don't ever allow that issue to come up. We only had about two dozen amendments this past year and about the same a year ago. You wouldn't recognize that compared to the hundreds of amendments that were used to be considered in a, in a single year. So uh, senators from both sides are frustrated. This bipartisan dialogue might yield uh, some effort to rein in uh, the leadership on, on both sides to say, hey, we want to restore the Senate. So that is, um, that is my hope. I certainly hope uh, that if the Democrats are in charge, that on critical issues like climate and like restoring the integrity of our elections, taking on the issue of gerrymandering and voter suppression and dark money, that we can summon a majority to put us back on track. Senator, you are our last guest of straight, for Straight Talk for this year. As we look back on 2020, what are your top takeaways? Well, it's been a year in which it's felt like a very dark cloud over America. I had a, a gathering uh, in which uh, a group of us shared things that were kind of uh, highlights from the year to try to say, well, there were glimmers of, of good moments during during the year. I was thinking about how my mother, for example, um, uh, is 93. Uh, she's not in good health and um, things were not looking too good uh, for her. But uh, the upside is that she came to live with us and, and, and going back and forth to my sister's house. And she's taken this time to write down stories of her life that she'll be able to share with the generations to come. And uh, so it's turning a kind of not so good moment into kind of uh, a very, very nice dialogue about uh, the changes she's seen in America since she was a little girl growing up uh, deeply impoverished in a small town in, in Kansas. And people, other people start sharing kind of how, how during this year of uh, addressing the threat of COVID, it renewed relationships, uh, dynamics within families, um, understood kind of what's really important. And so I think there's, there's moments we'll take with us from a challenging year as we look to a brighter and better 2021. A 2021 where everyone has access to a vaccine. A 2021 in which we therefore finally conquer this COVID pandemic. A 2021 where we strongly pivot to take on uh, climate challenges. Hopefully a 2021 where we have the Equality Act up before the Senate's passed the House. It's a bill I wrote, I wrote it in 2015 based on Oregon's Equality Act. And it gives, it ends discrimination against our LGBTQ Americans across this country, ends the, the doors being slammed in the face. Maybe 2021 is where we do real investments in infrastructure and in healthcare and housing and education, the foundation for families to thrive. So there's a lot to hope for as we look to the year to come. Well, we wish your mom well too. If there's one thing that you could pick, what is your greatest hope for 2021? Well, first and foremost, let's conquer the pandemic and the economic impacts it's had on Americans across the land. And then based on this election we've just had and what we've seen, let's restore integrity to elections, which really are the foundation of republic. And that means that we tackle gerrymandering and voter suppression and the dark money that are corrupting our system. Senator, we just have a little over a minute left, but I wanted to ask you, uh, the, the nation is still very divided with nearly half the country voting for President Trump. President-elect Biden has said he wants to unify the country. Do you think he can do that? And if so, how? 
I think the challenge that we have are a Senate Republican caucus that is determined to undermine his legitimacy. We have a social media world and a cable television world that are very split in terms of the audiences they have. And so grassroots America, there's a huge chasm between them, which then manifests itself with a chasm in, in the Senate. We saw the deliberate effort to destroy the credibility and uh, a legitimacy of President Obama. I think we're going to see that again. So I think uh, Biden is going to try very hard, but I, I will say I think it's going to be very difficult. Well, Senator Merkley, we want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, do you have a final 10 seconds uh, to leave a message with our, our viewers for the, for the new year? I wish you all a very bright and beautiful and better 2021 and in which we go forward together as a nation to take on a lot of challenges that have been neglected for far too long. Senator Merkley, thank you so much and, and happy holidays to you. Thank you. Happy holidays to you. Thank you for watching and listening to our podcast. This is our final show of 2020. We're off for the next two weeks for the holidays. We'll be back the first week of January 2021 when we begin our 13th year of Straight Talk. Thank you so much to our sponsors and to all of you for your support over the years. All of us here at KGW wish you a safe and happy holiday season.